1: like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you, what is it, Tuesday morning and joined by Jace Frederick of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I figure we got a little bit of time here with two days off between uh, games for the Wolves or in between the having lost to the Celtics window, the Raptors on Thursday. Jace, I figure a lot of what we talk and write about in the next kind of Few weeks is going to be all playoffs, looking forward. What's next with this team? So I figured right now, um we'll look back sort of at this season on, on things that surprised us, uh, that just quite frankly, things that we were we were wrong about on this season. So I tasked Jace with picking five things. I chose five things. I'm assuming there will be some overlap, but uh what's up, Jace? Before we get to it, how are you doing?
2: Pretty good, man. It is weird to have two days off at this point in the season, but like the fact that we're sitting here on Tuesday morning and in my head, they just have a game tonight. Like in my head, the Toronto game is tonight. And I kept have to keep telling myself like, no, it's not. Uh, So (laughs) I'm glad we're doing this today because I'm just like, I'm in the mode that there's a game tonight and uh, it'll be like 630 when I'm like, oh, I guess there's not.
1: (laughs) You can what are you going to watch instead? I, I don't like know. I don't you're know. You're all over the place.
2: I've been watching like both of the NCAA tournaments, men's and women's, and there's none of that tonight. Um, maybe it's a movie night. I don't know. The Nuggets maybe don't even movie. play. There's still like, I don't.
1: <laughs> the Nuggets are Mavs. Yeah. Yeah, it... that's like...
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite as in on like the Mavs, like, or even the Jazz now. Um, I've pretty much right, just right. been paying attention to the Nuggets being like, that's what's realistic. But yeah, they don't even play tonight. So maybe it's a non-sports did you, uh, night.
1: Did you watch the Nuggets last night?
2: I caught the end of them. I was, I had, I was juggling back and forth between that and the UConn, NC State women's
1: game. So yeah, I watched most of both. It's just having been someone who has been like, you know, you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to choose a league pass game. I'm going to choose Denver, and it's like every single game is the same thing. Yeah, where the other teams, whoever it is, is even when it was the Thunder on Saturday or whatever. They're beating them. They're beating them. Fourth quarter. Okay, Jokic is just going to take over like how that dude gets so many offensive rebounds. I don't understand. He's just dominant. He's just he's just dominant. And honestly, I mean. Similar to Kat, what Kat's been lately, but but even more so where it's just like with Jokic, it feels like there's never the the off night or there's not like the night where the other where the other team can take him away. And I feel like that's just kind of what's. That's why we're here right now. And there's this little gap because it's the gap between what Kat and and Jokic have been recently, which isn't to take away from Kat because Kat's been awesome too. But Jokic man, I just turned that team on and they're like, he just takes over every time.
2: Yeah, I always say this to you. I've had to come to this realization this year that it's not a detraction from Kat that he's not as good as like the best player in the NBA. It just feels like that because, you know, three or four years ago, you would have taken Towns over Jokic and been like, oh, yeah, I'd way rather have Towns moving forward. And the fact that Jokic has become maybe the best player in the NBA is not like something to like hold against Cat. Like Cat's still like an all NBA type player this year. He's been awesome. He's he's the biggest reason why the Wolves are in such a good position. Uh, But Jokic is just, I think the main reason why people downplay Jokic's dominance is, like you said, like they don't understand it. You know, like right. it doesn't make sense as you're watching it, but it's every single night he gets it done in every single way. And it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I who the would,
1: consistency of
2: it? Yeah. Would you pick him over and beat for MVP right now? I would.
1: I would. Um, yeah, that that's that's where I would go. And I, I always kind of go with the like, well, one, just because I don't have a vote. So I don't feel like that right. much responsibility right. to be like right. all that meticulous with it. Um, I like to think about like all the awards like selfishly for me like just in the context of my mind of like what I've what I've seen happen even if that isn't a fair representation and I think sometimes that sort of like mentality of like pound for pound who sticks out the most well I'll say last year when I brought that mindset to it I was like man I watched Joel Embiid he's the best player in the league like maybe it's only 60 games but that guy's the most dominant game to game and that's why for me I was like Embiid was my pick last year. Sure. I do think, though, with Jokic, again, whatever that gap was on game-to-game performance, like, that gap isn't big, might not be any gap at all between Embiid and Jokic. Plus, Jokic is doing it every night, plays more minutes per game, plays more more total games. Like, honestly, for me, as good as Embiid has been, as good as Giannis has been, because a bunch of these guys have been, it, like, it's kind of felt to me for the past few months, like you're waiting for Jokic to have a bad month. Otherwise, this is obviously, this is obviously his. I wrote
2: back in January that the Timberwolves' path to the sixth seed was wide open <laughs> because <laughs> I thought it was, uh, because I thought Denver, like, I'm sorry, there's just no way, you know, like no no MPJ, no Jamal Murray. like you can be a solid team, but you can't be a great team. And, and yet they've been, Somehow, some way, like it feels like smoke and mirrors because you don't know how they're winning any of these games. They're barely holding off the bad teams, even on the last nights, and yet they do it. Um, they just win, 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 and he's just the biggest reason for it. And this isn't a Nuggets
1: podcast, but, it's <laughs> no, just but been it is amazing. the relevant, it's the it's the relevant uh topic here. And I, I think from a fun standpoint, from just keeping us sort of engaged for these past few weeks, I wish the Nuggets would have lost last night or lost to the Thunder sure. on Saturday just cuz i think it'd be fun on friday uh just from a basketball standpoint if there was a lot on the line in that game um i think that's valuable for this wolves team of like you know kind of playoff fish games before they're actually in the playoffs cuz that's really for me that's what these these next month six weeks is all about is like what sort of Meaningful basketball are you playing that is going to have like a lasting impact on Anthony Edwards and who he's going to be two years, four years from now on D'Angelo Russell. Who's he going to be next year? cat? Same thing. Like play as much important basketball as possible. Um, that's why I think the end of the season is interesting. And that's why like, that's why I don't want them to play the Suns in the first round. You know, like I just want it to be a series where we're like, man, we got five, six, seven good games of basketball. And this team's learned a lot from it. Like, I think that should be the goal.
2: That's why I think playing the Suns is not a bad thing. Um, Because I think the Grizzlies basically went and got spanked by Utah last year. And I think they learned a bunch from that. They're like, well, we need to get better here, here, and here. I think getting beat and getting a reality check and saying, yeah, we've come this far, but we need to be this much better can be better than a team maybe going like seven with Memphis and being like, ah, we're right Mm. there. Next year, we'll just get it. You know, like, I think a point getting those doses of like reality of like we're not good enough uh both from the front office perspective from the player's perspective like i think that can be just as valuable as anything else
1: yeah no no that's that is true you don't want them to like i guess the last thing you want is some sort of like unrealistic confidence coming out of the season two where where like kind of like the, what was that? The Blazers a few years ago, where they like... Uh, the Hawks
2: last year. The Hawks, the I Hawks, think, came yeah, out yeah, of last year. Yeah. Like we're right there. We're a title contender. And it's like, no, you're not. You know, like things right. worked out for you last year.
1: No, like you said, you, you're finding out what else you need to add to eventually become that, you know, that that contender. And and so, yeah, whatever these, these next few weeks are, final six games of the season, the playoffs, like, yeah. It should be about finding out who you are, whoever, whoever that is, because like, as we, we talk about all the time, it's like we're trying to learn things about this team. We have been for 76 games this year, and th- it, they remain confusing in weird ways because of who they've played or who's been playing for them. And but it's just been a it's been a a bizarre year. And that's which I guess sort of ties into what we're going to talk about today of just the ways that this team has um has not been what you expected or what I expected. I'm, I'm actually going to go first because I'll tie it to the Jokic thing. Um, one of the biggest surprises or what I was most wrong about, or I'll make this my number five is, is just that that cat's usage is as low as it is. And that the team has had success this year. I mean, you look at, you look at cat compared to Embiid in terms of usage rate. It's like, Embiid's 375, 37, cats, like 27. I mean, it's, it's not even it's not even close and and so I don't again don't mean that as a rip on Finch or cat or or whatever it's just surprising to me that the wolves are going to be a well over 500 team this year when I would say they have an offense that is not totally defined by Carl Anthony Towns that's what I would have if you would have told me the wolves are going to be 45 48 win team this year I'd been like okay that's because cat probably turned into some sort of Embiid-like usage monster, and that hasn't happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree, um, and I still think there are plenty of times against like these better teams where even I think it maybe should shift to that. Um, there should be more yeah. of that, um, and and he can fade to the background a little bit too much after the first quarter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've done it. It really has been so many times. Balanced approaches um, where those nights when Carl scores forty, it really stands out because so often it's you know, Cats gets twenty-five and. 12 and 6, um, you know, and then right. Anthony Edwards has his Not moments. Bad. Exactly, yeah. right, right. Really good yeah. numbers, really good, a, a great average, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, but then everybody else is just like getting theirs too. And, and the mm-hmm. offense, like Finch's offense is totally like move the ball and, and generate a good look for somebody. I mean, that doesn't have to be Carlton Towns, it doesn't have to be Anthony Edwards. It's like, let's move it around. But doesn't
1: that kind of surprise you about Finch? I guess we didn't really know who Finch was, but like, I think I would have thought. That he would be a, oh no, like lean into our most powerful buttons as much as possible. But as the year goes on, and quite frankly, as they get better and as they get better offensively, it feels like more usage from the Torian princes, the Malik Beasley's, the Jordan McLaughlin's, the Patrick Beverleys. you know, where I would have guessed with Finch that he would have been more like Doc in Philly and been like, well this is our guy. And we, we had all this we had all this stuff with Finch in Denver with Jokic before with Anthony Davis in New Orleans we're like he's going to unlock cat and in some ways he has it just hasn't been through high usage right? I don't know it's, it's bizarre to me.
2: I always think like great offensive mind in the NBA is who finds the most unique and creative and best ways to get their best players into the best situations. And so yeah, for us that would you'd think that would mean cat with 30 35 usage i almost wonder if well first off like pinches whole all year he's been like nope gotta move the ball gotta you know make sure we're getting into these sets and running things early on and and really moving the ball around not getting letting it get sticky uh but i almost wonder if he's kind of diagnosed cat's not at his best if it's 30 percent, and certain matchups sure you know like <laughs> certain teams can't yeah. do it but he might have he might have seen like early on in the year like If they have somebody that can guard Carl, or if they are like really aggressive with the doubles, Carl is not at his best when he's being super aggressive. That's when he gets himself into trouble. Like that can hold up. um, So maybe he's decided that that's not best, at least for where Carl's at at this point in his career. That's not maximizing him. I've I've never asked him that, um, and I don't know if we get a true answer on that. But I do think it's a possibility Mm -hmm. that he's decided, okay, nope, we just have to use Carl sometimes for his gravity um, and not so much for his dominance.
1: Well, he said both things, right? Where he, he says that we need the early offense, we need to we need to move the ball around, we need all that. But then you ask you ask Finch about catch shooting threes ever, and he's like, Oh no, we want more. Like we want more, we want more threes. So we know at least in that realm, I think that's where Finch would like to see a little bit more usage. But for Carl, that's where he has to start like navigating the gray of Wait, but I'm trying to be a driver this year. I'm trying to attack. I'm trying to be a playmaker. Like the the three point usage in Carl's head oddly seems seems harder to tap into. But anyways, you uh give me give me yours. What is your number five uh thing you're most surprised about or didn't expect this season?
2: Was I supposed to put this in like what most surprised me at the very end or no? Okay, doesn't matter.
1: No, no, it's just five, but this is we're gonna they're gonna be ordered but in no port, point of relevance. Okay, why okay, okay. I'm
2: counting. It seems more like then we should start with one, but let's start it fine. It makes sense. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll just go with like the most obvious thing probably for the entire season and that's that they have concocted a defense, a scheme, an approach where they are not a horrendous defensive team. Um, in fact, right. they're, you know, for the season, they're top 12 or whatever. Like, they're solid. That's not something that I saw coming frankly at all. Um, I thought right. they would be a bottom... 10 uh, defensive unit and instead they have been solid. This high wall look has gotten everybody like the maximum out of these players. Like, um, yeah, I, I did not see that coming. What's. So I thought, if you have a lineup, of quantity towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, your team is going to stink um, defensively. And frankly, that it's, it's been the opposite. Um, so right. good. I guess for Chris mentioned okay. that I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that being any part of their success.
1: Right. It, it's. I, I think that has been the biggest story. It's probably been one we've we've talked about a lot. Um. But it. But it right, has. Right. Been. That's what i I'd Just
2: start with that yeah. Throw it out.
1: <laughs> no. 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 It, you're right. You're. You're. You're right to bring it up. And. And honestly, it's like as this the Carl, um, the Carl and the All MBA conversation has has picked up more on a on a national you know stage. Um. I think that's the biggest thing that those people who are voting on All nba whatever it might be, is understanding, one, that the Wolves massively change what they do defensively, but specifically to what that asked Carl to do. And Carl's not a perfect player. I just started my first thing with, this is what he's not doing. Sure. But, oh, my God, I feel like it's so underrated what Carl has done this this season defensively. And unfortunately, like, it doesn't really show up in the metrics all that much. Like, the catch-all, I I just know like the effective defensive effective plus minus he's like 50 60th percentile sort of thing and I don't feel like that's actually very representative because he's so integral to the new scheme that they've that they've put together and I would say as much as any one player and maybe you would disagree with that because you know people are going to go Patrick Beverly Jared Vanderbilt whatever I don't know I think Carl might be the most impactful defensive player on on this Wolves team specifically because of what the scheme is is asking him to do. I would agree with
2: that. They asked him to do literally everything. Um, you know, yeah. like he's <laughs> he's probably putting in like the most miles of anybody on the court. Um, you know, and so naturally they're leaning on him. Like it takes a certain player with his skill set, I think, to make this as effective as it's been. Um, you know, and he loves he loves utilizing that versatility, and this game certainly does it. Um, yeah Patrick Beverly there are certain games certain matchups where he has a big impact but there are other games where we see Anthony Edwards have a similar impact um so okay. that's why I agree with you that Anthony Towns is probably the most impactful player on this defense um he can't do it all alone certainly there are times where like the wings and whatnot don't create enough ball pressure and and everything just yeah. comes far too easily but it, yeah he's been the biggest. I think this team has done such a great job of maximizing his skills. And I think the scheme has totally. done a great job of maximizing everybody's skill set or lack of a skill set, hiding people, uh, whatever the case yeah. may be. Um, so that's, that's the, I didn't think there was something out there where they could do that. Mm-hmm. And I guess the yeah. fact that they found one and and it works for this team and, and maybe it's not what they want to do full time moving forward, but they've definitely squeezed the most blood out of this rock, I guess, uh, defensively. Yeah, right,
1: right. <laughs> that, that, uh, that relates to my second one or fourth one, however, we however we're going to do it. Like a big surprise for me as I think about the defense is just the idea that you can be a good defensive team or above average defensive team while being a horrendous rebounding team. Um, Which, which I mean in the sense of like, I must've been overvaluing the value of defensive rebounding. I mean, it's something I've, and it's granted, it's for sure a weakness of this team and it, and it costs them sometimes. But if you look at it for like the season, basically you could split up any like month-long period and the Wolves have been the worst defensive rebounding team or a bottom three defensive rebounding team in the league. And And to me, in my head, I feel like we kind of knew that was going to be the case coming into the season, just given the lack of size. But I think that's been a huge surprise for me. Maybe just like a basketball learning thing that defensive rebounding might be a l- little bit overrated in in overall defensive um, efficiency. Yeah, I mean,
2: and we saw early in the year, right? Like the rebounding was crushing them. I mean, that was the thing that was crushing them. And it was like, well, this is how it's going to play out all season. Um, and I don't necessarily like, it's almost like they were able to turn turnovers into the equalizing Reabouts. force. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, you don't need to get rebounds if you're forcing enough turnovers. Uh, it, it, those almost count as their own rebounds. You also have to, like, add that into the statistic. Like, we're not getting these rebounds, but we're getting turnovers. And that's the same as just getting the ball back defensively, which is the whole point.
1: Uh, well, they're, they're second in turnover rate on right, the season and they're right. last in rebounding rate. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, so yeah, it, it's pretty black it and white. It does kind of,
2: yeah, it brings you back to, like, a level of water, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I I wouldn't have guessed that you could rely on that. I never thought turnovers, I, I didn't guess, know were that those enough.
1: things. I didn't know that those things were even, like, you could correlate them. Or yeah. Or that one could be traded for the other. I
2: right, and think. it makes sense when you think about it, but it's, yeah. It. I also, I mean, to me, that just seems like something that is more likely to happen in college, right? Like, I just think, <laughs> like, NBA guards and whatnot, it's like, how can you, consistently rely on getting turnovers and that's why we i think again that's another thing where we see the really good teams and it's not as successful because they're better with the ball um you know and and it's it's tougher to do that it's tougher to force 15 20 turnovers Uh, so you you see that issue line up more but the fact that it's a successful strategy against 80 percent of the league is kind of insane i wouldn't have guessed that either
1: now you got, now you got that other 20% of the league coming up in your schedule. Here well, right. And, four, and, that's we it, you know? and, and that's when we see it, you
2: know, and that's when we go like, you know, that's when we go, all oh, this defense is getting shredded. It's like, well, kind of is playing on how you'd think it would play out. It's just, yeah. if it, mm-hmm. we all know what the holes are, it's obvious what the holes are, uh, the deficiencies and it's, you're banking on the fact that most teams can't capitalize on that. And it's right. right you know, like, I mean, it's,
1: it's more often than not. It's right. Yeah.
2: Right. It's played out to this. Um, right. I guess my next one I will go with the fact that they not only started uh, because we maybe saw that coming, but the fact that they managed to go through and navigate an entire season and somehow successfully, the fact that they even dared to do is one. Well, the fact that they somehow successfully navigated a season without any front court depth uh, <laughs> and and came out with a good team is yeah. very surprising to me. I think we all, it goes right back to the rebounding, right? Like we said, like, mm-hmm. This isn't going to work. You don't have a, a power forward like Chris Finch in the preseason would be like. What's well, a power forward? As his answer for like, well, obviously we don't have a power forward, um, yeah. and yet they've done it. Uh, they've managed to make it work with small ball with Jerry Vanderbilt really coming on and, and being really good for most of the season, uh, with being able to just rely on Reed as your backup center and and making it all work. Um, it all goes back to I guess the defense enforcing turnovers anyway. But man, I I would not have thought that this was going to be sustainable. Um, and certainly, it's an area people would have liked to see and address the trade deadline, but it hasn't been a prerequisite for being a quality team, at least.
1: Right? No, it, it's and that that I think is probably I don't know I did put on my list, but I think that's of what I've talked about over the course of the year. I think that's been the the biggest surprise to me too. Is just or kind of like waiting for the floor to drop out at some point where. Like, if Carl would have ever missed extended time this season, I don't know what would have happened. You know, yeah, and if it wasn't yes. COVID. Like, if he would have just, you know, some random three-week injury, I, I don't know. Like, how do you get through those three weeks, right? I, where you go, Nas is obviously now your starting center, which he's a backup center. But, you know, that's a gap of, of ability there. And then your only other options... Or Jared Vanderbilt, who Finch has been almost allergic to playing at center right. the the entire season. Or Nate Knight, who's a who's a two-way player. I mean, it is it is it remains a crazy idea to me that a roster was put together in this sort of way without that sort of depth, while also being serious about being a contender, a playoff team, right? Like Gerson Rosa's put this team together, not like, like this was go time for him, even if he was still here, you know, like we're going to be a playoff team this season and to put together a roster in that sort of way, which seems like it has such a glaring hole or obscure way to be put together. Um, he was right. You know, he was, he was more right about that um, than I was. And I would maybe credit Chris Finch with figuring that out more than I would credit Gerson Rosas with putting that together. Cause I think that's, the real difficulty, I, I think my concern about those sort of things, about the the roster imbalances, just kind of across the board, they went away once I was like, okay, I think Mike Inori really knows what he's doing in terms of the rotation. Um, I feel like that being getting like an A in terms of rotations this year has made it so the pain of whatever that lack of front court depth is has has hurt less. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. And uh, I am gonna jump you here and go into my next one because it's cool. it's because it just ties directly into that. I guess that this is just general in the NBA, and maybe it's because we haven't seen it to this full effect here. Um I am surprised that I think coaching can win you this many games. Um because I do still think this is a imperfect roster to a big degree. I don't think this is like a 45, 46, 47 win roster. I just think Chris Finch and his staff have done a remarkable job. Um, and I think that that, like I have somehow gotten to the point now where I look at the core of the team and I think the core at its heart is, yes, yeah, like Jane McDaniels and stuff. Certainly are like pieces that you want around long-term. But I think the core is Carl Theddy Towns, Anthony Edwards and Chris Finch. Like that's where I've gotten to with this team, what they've done offensively, maximizing their best players, uh, maximizing the entire roster, finding the best fits for everybody. And then defensively, like like we've talked about, a nauseam, like they've maximized Carl Anthony Towns, they've hidden D'Angelo Russell, they've done all these things to make the best possible, I think, results for the team, and it kind of gives you confidence of like whatever the roster looks like, whatever happens, yeah. even injury wise. Um, say Carl Anthony Towns goes down, I don't think they'll get slaughtered every game because I think they, would, I think that staff That's would true. probably find a better way to to make it work. Like um, you even well, saw that in the case, COVID was times. Like the... We saw that in COVID times, right? Like right. they beat Boston well, I... with you and Brown, you know, like because yeah. they just coached so
1: dang well. I, I think it, it's like the, you know, how old Roses would talk about or Finch would talk about like his time in the G League and it, and it taught him how to, like the, you did not even know who's going to be playing for you or whatever. And I remember hearing that at the beginning and I was like, okay, you know, sure. Right. But like, I was like, oh, the G League NBA apples oranges. Um, but like what you're talking about right there is true. And that's totally like G League, adjustment behavior of like we are just going to be like wait who are the 14 guys we can play this week mm-hmm. you know or 12 if there's some hurt whatever it might be and and they nailed that they they really do like for we, we like laugh about the 11-man rotation at the beginning of the season which didn't work but outside of that like can you point to anything in terms of who started who's played in the rotation and that's been like a mistake in, in hindsight, like, I felt like they pressed all the right buttons of like, okay, put Jordan McLaughlin back into the mix, put Torian Prince into a different role where he's doing this and that, like it took a couple weeks, but now like, I guess the way I would say it is Chris Finch seems to like really understand every one of his weapons or every one of their weaknesses too, and, and figures out how to, how to navigate that because. Yeah, man. I mean, it has to be like five wins worth, wouldn't you say?
2: I would say at least that, yeah. I I, I would yeah. say I'm comfortable saying it's it's like five to seven. Um, you know, like and you've talked about, you know, one of the mistakes, like like you said, they're all early season, and that's where it's it's probably best to be searching for different things, True. try different combinations out, you know, True. in the first quarter of the season or whatever. And then and then he and then Finch finds out, like, okay, here's how we need to use Torian Prince, here's how we need to use Jordan McLaughlin. Here's why they they have so much value for us and they can, like, make the guys around them a little better. But, yeah, they were out of the rotation for a little bit, but you're kind of searching um, early in the season, especially with the roster that's a little bit in flux. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it every night with Carl Anthony Towns, the opposing teams, and it's like, what are these coaches doing? Why are they not doing the things that obviously bother Towns the most? Why is they just kind of letting him do whatever he wants against guys who are lesser defenders? Like, this team is poorly coached. I. Almost never feel that way about Minnesota.
1: We 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 literally talk about that like we'll go to halftime, go to the media room at halftime, and we'll be like, Oh my gosh, what is Frank Vogel doing? They didn't yeah. double cat the whole the the whole first and then sure enough comes out in the third quarter and they double cat or they do the things that other teams have been doing. But yeah, I think with Finch, it doesn't take it doesn't take two quarters to figure out right. what the the best thing. Not not that he's on it like bam, bam, bam right away but yeah i i want i mean just i would say a lot of the teams probably like 25 percent of the opponents this year for the wolves i've said purely based on the cat stuff i go that wasn't a very good coached game right by by the opponent because i don't understand how your primary motivation coming to a game against the timberwolves can't be what can we do to take away Carl Anthony Towns? And then you see a team like Dallas do that on Monday and you're like, well, duh. Yeah, <laughs> like, yep. Just put two guys out of on wherever, like make somebody else beat you. And sometimes the wolves will beat you. Yeah. Like yep. swing, swing, touring Prince Beasley, whatever, like they'll, they'll beat them. But it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to me. Once when, when it's like Frank Vogel's like, yep, Dwight Howard, you got him. You got Carl Anthony Towns. Take care of him like that. That, that's not good coaching. I mean, it's just, it's just not. Um. All right, Jace, let me mix in a, a break right here. We'll come back with a couple more of our biggest surprises of the season.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data,
1: All right, we are back with Jace Frederick of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. We're running through a list of, uh, for each of us. I look, we haven't really had overlap yet. Um, no. but just going through the, the, the five things we are have been most surprised by or were most wrong about, um, this season as it as it connected to the Wolves. I think I'm up. You've done three, I've done two. Um, this is somewhat related to the cat usage one, but not totally. And it's just the idea. That the Wolves are a very good three point shooting team and a very high volume three point shooting team without this being a high volume three point shooting year from Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I would have never, I would have never guessed that. Just in the January 1st time, like from January 1st on, they're second in the league in three point volume and fifth in three point accuracy. And in that time, like Carl Anthony Towns hasn't been shooting that many threes. Like, that's just, that's crazy to me. I would have, I would have never, I would have never guessed that that's what, how this team would have been put together in terms of three point shooting.
2: And the best part is that that's not what, Lee mentioned this already on this podcast. That's not what the coach wants. Like, (laughs) he would love Carl Anthony Towns to shoot more threes. He would love to take, I think, take threes from D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and put them in the Carl Anthony Towns bucket. He would love to do that.
1: Uh, you know 360 he's played 360 more minutes than D'Lo this year and taken 149 fewer three-point shots and that's what?
2: insane that's insane like yeah is a good three-point shooter it hasn't really been this year um but he is in general and and Katz though is legitimately one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA um yeah. and and he just has it set in his head like he kind of has set ways in which he wants to play and you see it almost through like a season kind of carry out he might make little tinks tinkers here and there but um you just know that like he's like, nope, I'm gonna be aggressive driving the ball and kicking out of that. And that's the way I want to play this season. And yeah, I'll take mm-hmm. the occasional three if that gets taken away from me. But that is my go-to. That's what I want to do. And it's still like it. That's what I think you see how great he's playing this year. And it's easy though to figure out, okay, how can next year be even better? Um, it's that, right? Like yeah. it's just more volume because so many times he'll just like fire over the opponent and nail a three. And it's like, you could do that every single possession you could do that you
1: could take it you could take it yeah, yeah. right right I mean and
2: right. if you come down the court and shoot 40 percent you know on 10 threes a game like that's incredible offense um that's right. 1.2 points per possession <laughs> yeah. you know like I mean and man it just feels like a lock I know I'm not every night your shot's gonna be there but for him it is way more than it's not so I wouldn't well, be surprised
1: interesting to me man like where he says, you know he'll say this in, in post game all the time, if he does start 0 for three from three, he goes, well, shot wasn't falling. yeah, uh, so I stopped doing it. And I I think that's part of the reason why Carl Anthony Towns's career three-point percentage is as good as it is, but also not a good strategy. you know what I mean? like part of it is he doesn't try the reason he's a career 40 percent three-point shooter on decently high volume is that he doesn't shoot more (laughs) in a way, you know, and, and, and there's some weird, like he is putting those parameters in himself. Like we said, the coach was like, well, I mean, I think if you ask Chris Finch, you're like, if Carl shot five more threes per game and it dropped his three point percentage by two percentage points, would you take it? Yes. But Carl subconsciously or consciously wouldn't do that. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, um, I I definitely think he doesn't want nights where he goes to two for 10 from three. Like, you know, the the Mike Beasley games, he doesn't have any interest in that. Um, And I think a part of that probably does come from like, I don't think this is falling. And I think I can do other things where it's not like his identity. So he's like, yeah, it's just like it's almost like a chart in his head, you know, like, if not here, well then go here. You know? Um it's not like I have to shoot my way through this. It's like, nope, that's not going. So I will just go to plan B. Or really plan A, frankly, a lot of times for him is driving to the rim. Uh, but I still disagree. I just think with that
1: the if not here part the if not here part is a little bit sometimes it's there. Yeah. <laughs> I right, guess that right. that's what I'm saying, you know. Yeah, I, I mean,
2: I'm, you know, you know, we're both team cat launch threes. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really interested to see if they can pound that into his head for this uh, for next season. Um, or or maybe if when things get harder, which they will offensively for them in the playoffs, say it as Phoenix, whoever, like teams are going to take away things they want to do. Will cat will the light come on that? OK, a lot of possessions. This is the best shot we can get. Will that will that light go off?
1: And I think part of that will be required coaching. Yeah. convincing him that that is the right thing to do in those spots, because, yeah, there's going to be fewer of the like defensive breakdowns. OK, Carl, just pivot around. There's Jade McDaniels cutting wide open for a dunk like. It's going to be more loaded up in the playoffs, it's going to be more half court, it's just going to require making more difficult shots. And he's your best difficult shot maker on the team, just because he's your, your, you know, your your best scorer in general so yeah it'll be interesting to compare his usage rate his three-point percentage what are his regular season numbers and what do they look like in the playoffs i'm fascinated to see that because yeah i mean it's it's just you would think it's got to be a little bit higher
2: uh my next one is that not only does jordan McLaughlin play which would be in my number one surprise um but that he's actually been an integral part to what this team has done. Um, it totally. Looked sure, for us in training camp, Looked like this is an end of the bench player. And then when, when they were pulling out the rotation in like the preseason, it's like, is he going to be the 11th guy? Are they really going to jam him in for like yeah. eight minutes a game? Uh, okay, I guess Chris Finch believes in him for that. Love and, him. Yeah, and, and now we've seen like he, and he talks about him ad nauseum, like if Jordan McLaughlin does anything, he was the player of the game in Chris Finch's mind, and I don't even think that's wrong a lot of nights, but it is amazing to see how he has emerged as a super valuable piece to what they've done. Um, oftentimes, like a stabilizer, he is the driving force to play the way basketball, the way that Chris Finch wants basketball played. Um, it's It's been really surprising to see, because I would have said Jordan McLaughlin is your emergency point guard if Russell or Beverly sits out, which obviously would have been a lot of nights anyway, um, but it's Full rotation, Jordan McLaughlin is playing a lot of minutes and playing a big role, and I didn't see that coming at all.
1: Do you think he plays in the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I for sure do. I cannot see Chris Mm -hmm. Finch taking him off the floor. Um, And especially now, like there are times where offense and whatnot is going to get stagnant in the playoffs. And the starting unit, which has gotten that way a lot, I think is going to be more apt to become stagnant in the playoffs. And Mm -hmm. I think Chris Finch is going to want that Same charge that he gets from McLaughlin now. I think that might be as important as ever. Now, defensively, yeah, there'll be struggles with it. But frankly, like the bursts that he can provide and the way that he can kind of get them back on course for the way they want things they want to do, like I I have no doubt that he's going to play a similar role.
1: Do you think that will mean that maybe Jalen Noel won't be in the playoff rotation then? Because I think at some point, some guys aren't going to (laughs) play. Do you like, think so? Because I do think that they've just kind of decided that Daniel
2: Russell playing like 30 minutes is the role for him. And it, he almost seems to have that decided that for himself, too. Like, I don't right. see those minutes going up to 40. I just don't. I don't think they think that's the best path to success.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I guess this is also... We're, we're, we're talking playoff rotation, so, you know, knock on wood or hopeful thinking, Malik Beasley and Jade McDaniels are, are back for that. Right, right. Um, at that point, now...
2: Jalen's first to go online uh, in the rotation. Yeah, I think okay. that's just I am not saying that's like right, um, but I think it's what will happen.
1: It it's also like I mean, the quality of play he's had too is amazing he demands it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if the defense was like five percent better from Noel, that would go a long way. But and if you had well, yeah, if you had five
2: seconds left in a playoff game, And it's too hard to get Towns the ball. It shouldn't be, but it seems to be. Jalen Noel (laughs) should be really high on the list of guys who you just like, you know, you go score. Like, frankly, I know D'Angelo Russell is a pedigree for it, but Jalen Noel is going to get you a better shot. I have full confidence in that. Uh, That's why it's hard to have those guys off the court, because when buckets are hard to get, like Jalen Noel never has any trouble getting a bucket. So I I get it defensively. You have to be really sharp on the other end. But, man, the offense is hard to miss.
1: Yeah, but it, also if you're comparing that defense against Malik Beasley or against D'Angelo Russell, for both McLaughlin and Noel, it's not like light years ahead. You could, yeah. yeah, yeah, you could say like, "Oh, McLaughlin's too small to play in the playoffs," or something defensively. Well, he's being replaced then in those minutes by Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell, right? So it's yeah. I mean, it, it's probably a story about needing to have. <laughs> Another defender in the in the backcourt next season. Lack
2: of defensive players. It literally goes back to the defense point. I have no idea how they have like a top twelve defense. It doesn't compute in my mind. But yeah,
1: it really kind of doesn't with me either. And I don't like. I don't know what to do about that because I don't think or cleaning the glass has them at tenth. So remove garbage. Yeah, yep. I don't think the Timberwolves are a top ten defense in the NBA.
2: Chris Finch has said that. He has said, I didn't think we were a top 10 defense. Like in press conferences when they've struggled, Mm -hmm. he's like, I didn't, I didn't have it in my head that we were a top 10 defense, you know, like,
1: right, right. Which again is not to say they're a bad defensive team, but to like, I, you can bank on this team being a top five offensive team in terms of production. I think a lot more than defensively and yeah, I mean, because really, like, if we just somehow magically were able to separate it for, like, the whatever, like, 30 games this season where they've played, quote-unquote, good teams, like, they have not defended at a top 10 level of that. right? I, sure, yep. I, it, it feels to me that a lot of that is is picking on bad teams and or maybe just the idea, and I certainly treat defensive rating and, and stuff like that as law maybe more than I should, right? Like maybe just because you're in the top 10 in terms of defensive rating, like maybe that isn't exactly what you are in terms of of defensive quality. I've never really thought about that, but this team this season has sort of made me feel that way. And maybe that's just another way of saying they're defensively inconsistent, but maybe I don't believe you can be a defensively inconsistent team and a top 10 defense, right? I think
2: that's fair. I think if you lined a bunch of teams up, you would not pick the Timberwolves tenth. Um, if you're like, yeah. okay, we, we need to stop, we need to just say it's Phoenix or something. It's like, okay, who are mm-hmm. the best teams to try to stop Phoenix in one game? And I'm drafting, and you and I are drafting. Like the Wolves are not going yeah. in the top ten of that draft. Uh, there are many other teams who are going before them. They might go sixteenth, seventeenth, whatever the case may be. Uh, and they might they might go ahead of that. I haven't put any thought into that, but I'm with you, like because we're gonna look at personnel, right? We're gonna look at. Mm-hmm. What what possibilities do these teams have? Like what can they possibly throw at a team like Phoenix? What different ways can they try to attack Devin Booker and take Chris Paul away? And yeah. the Wolves mm-hmm. options are so limited, um, because of personnel. So like it's hard when you look at their personnel to say that's a top ten defense because they don't have that. Um mm-hmm. and we see that as we've seen kind of get exposed by other teams. Um and that's right. why like I think for the Timberwolves in the future, like if they address that, like this is what they've managed to do with no defensive personnel or not. No, because they have certainly some weak mm. defenders and whatnot, but if they but can that improve that, exactly. Yeah. So now what can they yeah. do? And this was where that quote after that Boston game stood out so much to me that Chris Finch, he goes, um, he was asked is what Boston does defensively. Is that what you would inspire, aspire your team to do? And he basically said, Boston's got guys who are like out there to play defense. They've got a bunch of length, athleticism. Um, we don't necessarily have guys like that um, on our yeah. roster. And it's like, that's a full like admission of, like, we don't have those players. We can't possibly mm-hmm. play defense like that. What happens when they do? Um, yeah. You know, they can probably try different schemes or whatnot. They, they might – they frankly, like, that's what gives you even more confidence in the coaching staff of, like, you have maximized what you have now. Now what happens when you get even better pieces?
1: So let's go down that line a little bit. Like, because I've been – you know, as the season goes on, and, and like we've been saying – like every month I feel like I learned something different about this team or my opinion changes of it. Yep. And I always try and like take that, whatever I'm feeling in that month about this team and however I've assessed them or whatever, and then applying that to the future, right? What, uh, this is pretty much the last time of this season we're going to be able to take stock of what this group is as a regular season team and who we would hope the Wolves could be as a, as a team next year. And we're talking about this adding defensive personnel. Are you still like of the mind that the place to add that for next season or this offseason is the front court? Is that where you add the defense?
2: Um, I think as far as like obvious fixes, um maybe one one guy in the front court make a difference in certain matchups. But then there are other matchups where I don't know, I think just having more consistent Wing play even would help a lot, too, you know, like just more physicality. Um, You look at like the point of attack, it's basically like Patrick Beverly and Anthony Edwards recently have done a nice job. But now you need both those guys on the floor. Um, Jane McDaniels being out has hurt a little bit. Uh, Point guard, frankly, it'd be nicer to have better defenders there. Um, Yeah. Just because, like, there there are two, the times with the Wolves now is they can't ever have five good defenders on the floor. Like, five guys yeah. who are capable of taking guys away. And that's what the really great teams, there are no weak spots. Celtics. Uh, yeah. Exactly, right. That's how you play, like, top-tier defenses. There is no mismatch, a team can point out, because you don't love any matchup. Um, and you and you can switch and you can mix and match and the Celtics can switch so much that every time you're like, what are we running to get to? Like, I guess our favorite bad matchup. Um, <laughs> and with the Wolves, it's like teams are just like, all right, well, how do we pick Russell out of here? How can we maybe attack McLaughlin here? Um, Anthony Edwards, if we get him off the ball, we can run some actions where he's going to lose this guy. Um, right. Those types of things. Malik Beasley, like there are just too many easy guys to pick out. So you kind of, as far as like one player fixed, I guess like a front court guy and maybe just another good like ball pressuring perimeter player just to get the team a little bit less comfortable sometimes?
1: I I think what you're talking about is the idea of rather than putting it all into one place, kind of patching holes in a couple of different places. And I think as I think about the offseason and just given, you know, sort of the, the cap setup, like basically it seems to me like you can make some big move if you can find it for, I always just call it the Miles Turner type. Like you can, that type quality, 15 to $20 million big, who's good, would certainly make a defensive impact, but it's gonna cost you to acquire, right? And I I think that's where the needle would move the most at one individual spot. But I think as we're learning more about this team over the course of the year, you go, well, would it be more valuable if we move the needle up in three spots? versus up a lot in one spot, right? And and I think there's there's a case to make the multiple, like the multiple path sort of thing, where you don't go out and make the big trade. You use your mid-level exception maybe on like a nine or $10 million big, and then you make other smaller moves on the margins to make an improvement at point guard or improvement at at the two in that sort of way. And I think the real argument for going down that path is founded in confidence of Jared Vanderbilt being a starting big in the league because I'm not sure I'm there, but you have to acknowledge the fact that he only costs four million bucks. like so if you can if he can be your power forward for the next two seasons at four million, you can do a lot everywhere else else on the team and and that that's as the playoffs come up here these final games. I think we're going to, it's going to go back to the rebounding stuff. It's going to go back to the size stuff that we already talked about. But what Jared Vanderbilt does in the playoffs will will go a long way in my mind of what I think this team should do in, in the offseason to make the team better for next year. I think that about a lot of players. Because we we, <laughs> we
2: definitely gain information about players in the regular season. But think about this for everybody else in the NBA.
1: Yeah. I
2: think as you watch the playoffs, you really learn who guys are. You know, you learn what, what they can do when when they are game planned for, schemed against um, game after game after game um, against the best players. So when when the best coaches have all this time to plan for you, try to expose you, and the best players are out there executing that scheme, that's who you find out. That's when you find out who you are. Um, that's mm-hmm. when we that's when we make get, learn the most, make our most educated, um, informed thoughts on players. Like sure. the Wolves, we haven't had a chance to do that with these guys in forever. You know, we're we're seeing what this guy can do against. Uh, Dallas, when Dallas maybe played the night before, or whatever the case may be, that's a bad example. But any team, like, hey, they played the night before, they just put together a quick walkthrough, and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy likes to go left. Um, let's take that. Let's try <laughs> to limit that. And that's it. Um, now we're going to find out what are Anthony Edwards' truest warts. Um, D'Angelo Russell, can he not be just a total defensive liability? Can he find ways to get his offense against teams that are better on the defensive end, which, frankly, hasn't been great this last uh, few weeks here against better teams. There have been some no-shows. Cat like his his only playoff performance. This was years ago, but it was really bad against Houston. Um, mm-hmm. It in what ways will we find the deficiencies there when teams can game plan for him? Like that's going to be the case with everybody, and that's why they need a series so badly is to find these things so guys can work on their games and the team can say, can we improve this? Can we work with this? Do we need to change this?
1: Um, right.
2: Yeah. So this I what
1: we've got. This is where we're going.
2: Yeah. Yep. Is it is it just something where we can improve this through player development? Do we have to make a trade? Do we have to make a change? Mm-hmm. Do we have to at least account for this as we're building our team going forward here. Um, Yeah, it's Jared Vanderbilt. It's literally almost everybody, I think, in my mind, because there's just not a lot of playoff data out there on these guys.
1: True. Um, I'm going to do my my last two together here. One, because my last one kind of ties to the three-point shooting thing I was talking about, of how they're a super high-volume three-point shooting team. But I think I've been very surprised this year in that they just are a very clean shot selection team this year. They're 10th in shots at the rim, 29th in shots from mid-range and third in three-point volume. I mean, right, like you're kind of pressing all the exact right buttons. And that's a little bit surprising to me because Chris Finch has always kind of been the coach who said, you know, it's kind of my job to get out of the way and let the players do what they do, which sometimes sounds like, you know, empowering that. Maybe that sounds like to someone like D'Angelo Russell, like play your game. Like, wherever those shots come from, whatever, Anthony Edwards, play your game. Like, I would have, if anything sticks out to me there, I'm very surprised this team is 29th in the league in mid-range volume, you know? Because you would yeah. think just with the personnel that they that they would have taken more, but they've done a good job of barely taking any mid-range shots, making them at a pretty decent clip when they do because the volume's so low, and then bombing threes and cats getting to the rim. Like, I don't think I would have expected this team to be that clean in terms of a, a shot selection standpoint. And then my other one is just not related to that. Um, I I think I just like put myself in my mind of like, okay, we're going to the training camp, right? And if I would have told you in training camp that Jared Vanderbilt plays more than Malik Beasley this season, be like, what, you know, like Malik Beasley, we anticipated him to be a starter, but here we are 76 games into the year. And Jared Vanderbilt is clearly ahead of Malik Beasley in the in the Timberwolves pecking order at one fourth of the cost. Like, I would not I would not have expected either of those things. Yeah, uh,
2: the Beasley Vanderbilt, especially like when you look at like what they want to do offensively and whatnot, and we always just kind of viewed <laughs> yeah. it as like Vando just can't be anything offensively. Um, it's it's a big issue. Like, how do you even what do you do with him? And Finch like. You know, like we saw last year, like Vander had to basically convince him with this garbage time play, basically being like, OK, we need his effort out there. Um, you know, and then you see the way it plays out in the offseason and it's like, well, there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of love for Jared Vanderbilt. Like They weren't dying to get him back. And then it ends up being this dude that like they basically noted right away, like can't play without him. You know, we need everything he brings to the floor. Um, and that. Is,
1: well, and on the it, patience, it, Jace. They've had with him too. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. played well. He didn't right, play well right. for like I, I a think
2: month or two. It comes down to alternatives, right? Like, where else are you yeah, going to go? Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, uh, I that probably, probably was, not believe Beasley. <laughs> that but that's a part of it, right? Like we talked about yeah. the front court, and like Jared Vanderbilt has been great for them, and that's been so necessary uh, because without that, yeah. they probably their size would have been exposed a lot more often, um, if not True. for for Vando, and and he's proven like super versatile too because. You know, you can play him, and he'll go up, and you can be like, "Hey, you kind of have to guard one of the other bigs tonight," or, or like this he'll wing, guard, we're going to the wing. Yeah, yeah. you got you are going to guard this other team's best wing. Um, we've seen that even more here without McDaniel's. Like sometimes Ant gets it, sometimes Vando gets it. Um, sometimes like, Vando
1: gets it more often than not. Vando gets it first. Yeah, right. Like, yep, yep. Lebron, he got the primary Lebron yep. matchup, and then it was Luca. Luca. Yep. I mean, Luca got him, but like Justin, to me, that showed what chris finch's like opinion of the defensive pecking order was on the wing if you take mcdaniels out we want to we want vando to be the guy on the wing i don't maybe some of that saving pat bev some of it is maybe not total trust in anthony edwards to do that for a full game but yeah like as much as we talk about the things vando can't do offensively um and I think his offensive rebounding gets really hyped up. Like, there's a lot of small defensive things that, you know, that he's on. That's the reason he's played more minutes than Malik Beasley. It's a wider variety of things he does, which makes the things he doesn't do, like, less less onerous.
2: And frankly, like he's one of those guys where it's a balancing force that like the starting group needs. You know, like yeah. if you're just replacing him with Malik Beasley now defensively, they're not—they're really not good. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, oh, when it, everyone
1: else is shooting less. Exactly. Yep, is, yep. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. The
2: volume's needed. Like, if you're going to have D'Lo and Cat out there, like, how do you not have Jared Vanderbilt built out there? It's—it's it's the end to the yang that that group desperately needs. Right. Um, um, and Beverly kind of fits into that basket as well. It's why that unit was so good for such a stretch there. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I don't even remember what your other point was
1: um shot selection oh yeah that they which was kind of tied to my other one which i think is just surprising chris finch doesn't like he doesn't strike me as a coach that is very rigid and that looks very rigid on paper that's basically my biggest thing there what's your last one
2: yeah i'd agree with you Uh, the fact that a d'angelo russell team is 29th in mid-range is surprising um for sure for sure um my last one is that this team would be this good it almost goes back to your cat point like you thought everything would be super cat centric on a great team I would have thought either D'Angelo Russell or Anthony Edwards would have to have an all-star season for this team to be, have win this many games. Um, and Ant was really good for a stretch, but we've seen him not good for stretches too. D'Angelo has been really good for stretches, but we've seen him really bad for stretches too. Um, and it doesn't matter this team continues to find a way, whether that's, you know, Malik Beasley having a night, Jordan McLaughlin having a night, Torian Prince having a night. Right. Like, like On nights where Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell are bad, they find ways to win games. I um, mean, that speaks to Carl. It speaks to the coaching of, they haven't gotten like all the level of a play from those two, like second and third best players on a lot of different nights. Certainly they've got had moments and they've had stretches where those guys have been good and they've been driving forces for success, but hasn't been consistent. hasn't been like, Oh my gosh, wow. I can't believe the season this guy is having. Um, but everybody else has just been better than I thought. And maybe that's part of, maybe that's my whole point is that the role players have all been better than I thought. Sans Malik Beasley for the beginning stretch of the season. Uh, but yeah, I would have said, okay, D'Angelo Russell has like a contract hoping for an extension career year or Ant is like takes the right. second year jump into like one of the best wings in the league. And neither one of those has really happened and it hasn't mattered. So that's been surprising for me. And I guess with like Ant, that's your continued room for growth. It's still Ant because he certainly has strides he can still make. Um, with right. Russell, you can say, well, we can win with him playing at this level, which has been about where he's been at for much of his career. It,
1: kind of recently just box score wise we've seen that play out right like they won the miami game and jalen noel was the leading scorer with only 16 um what was it was it the phoenix game last week where it was i think carl hit 20 that was was like seven guys that was the dallas win that was the dallas win okay yep but that that's kind of been a thing recently right where like, you're just looking at the box score, and it's like, oh, Ant's got 12, D'Lo's got 15, and cat has got 20.
2: And like, they're not even efficient. Like, gonna have 15 yeah. on 16 shots. Ant might have 12 yeah. on 10 shots. Not like, it's not like it's like, oh, we're just great ball movement. Like, they've just been very inefficient, and it doesn't matter.
1: The second all-star of the team this season has been everyone outside of the big three. Yeah, yeah. and And just kind of, like, collectively... Again, something Finch says all the time. We don't really know where it's gonna come from from the bench, but it seems to be that one of those guys every time gives you something off of the bench. oh, I think you're locking up on me here. Well, that might be the end of of my, my chat here with uh with with Jace Frederick. I think our our zoom cut off, but we got all three, we got all five of our of our our things each. Oh, Jace, you're back. Do you want to react to what I said? I'm back.
2: I didn't hear what you said.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, I was just, I more so just this idea of the of the bench, and it's 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 random. One of the guys. Oh, I didn't hear game, that. Yeah, yeah. You know.
2: And you're exactly right. Um, and how many times where it's like, and we know this because when like when we're requesting players post game, it's like, oh, who had a good night? It's like you look down, it's like Jordan McLaughlin made like the, yeah. the, the, the three key plays that really sparked like a third quarter run. Jalen Noel like comes off the bench. Maybe not even after having a big role like three previous games. And Chris Finch says, I need to push that button tonight. Mm -hmm. And there he scores 14 points. Torian Prince sometimes looks like the second best player on the floor next to Towns. Um, You know, no question about it. And having a team with that kind of stuff, like, that is how a team with maybe not like a top 10 roster can play like a top 10, 12 team. Um, It takes that. It takes everybody. And. It, we've gone back to it all the time, but that's a credit to the players and it's a credit to the coaches for sure. Putting the guys in the right positions and knowing when to press which buttons. Um, I still say it, like, I don't think this is like some amazing roster. Um, I just think that they have really done a great job maximizing this roster. And maybe that comes down to like the right collection of guys, um, even if they're not like top tier players or whatever, like they always say we have a good group. Um, and, and so I guess that in terms of roster construction can play into it for sure. Like the right mix of players, um, even if it's not, the right caliber uh so yeah that's that's been a surprising thing about this season that's tough to gauge if you haven't seen a group play yet totally. um it's, totally. it's almost impossible to predict that but it has come to fruition
1: this year let me uh send you off on this which i feel is just kind of like the topic du jour right now you know it the sixth seed the seventh seed um you know we could you can talk about who the opponent is in the first round but how how important do you get how important does it feel to you for the Wolves to get the sixth seed? Because I think it's been interesting in this past week hearing Chris Finch talk about signaling it's pretty important to him that that they get the sixth seed. Like, does it feel like a big difference to you if they get the six or seven? I don't think you can overlook the fact that
2: so okay, I would say no, but. Just for the fact of like wanting to get a full postseason series and whatnot, the fact that the mm-hmm. sixth seed gets a week off um, before having to start the playoffs like everybody else does, and the playing team has to at least play like Tuesday or Wednesday, and then maybe play again Thursday or Friday, um, and now you're just like it's just like you never left regular season scramble mode because you're yeah. going right into the playoffs, never getting any time off to like um, rest yourselves or whatever the case may be um plan yeah you know? i i think as much as anything it's just to get that series it's just to make sure you get it um i have full confidence that minnesota would if they lost to the paul G- george clippers that they would beat the pelicans the lakers the spurs at home i just don't see this team losing that game i understand it's just one game uh but it's i think you just really want to get that series um and and get the time off to like put your team in the best position to play that series. And then Mm -hmm. however that goes, like you just gain information that you just need You get experience that you need. Um, But if you get there, if I don't think being the six versus being the seven and winning that first playing game is all that different. Um, But I do think it's like, you know, there's no guarantees on that.
1: What do you, what do you think just right now? Wolves are playing the Clippers at target center for the seven, eight playing game. What do you, what are the odds the wolves win that game?
2: I think Vegas. Would, I think Vegas would give the Wolves would have the Wolves at like a two point favorite maybe. I really think like Paul George, if he plays this week, and now we're looking at Paul George two weeks down the road. Yeah. Um, the Clippers match up really well with the Wolves. Um, they've done that early in the season. A lot's changed since then for sure, but I don't know. Like I mean, I'd give the Wolves like a fifty five sixty percent chance okay. of winning that game. Like that's okay. about where I'm at. I think.
1: Okay. So, let's say 55% on that, but let's say they let, let, let's say if they do lose that, what are their odds against the Pelicans, Lakers or Spurs in that game? Again, which would be at home. Are the 80, odds the odds 80, are higher. 80. Okay. So that that's I I think that because I think it's around those numbers somewhere. Like if that is the case, yes, you lose the rest But you still have, what is it, 60% and 80%? Like, you you still have, like, a – even if you're in the play-in, if those are the odds, you still have an 80% chance of getting that series. That's what that means. You know what I mean? So – I will say this. The the Vegas books right now, to make the playoffs, which means get through the play-in, has mm -hmm. the Wolves
2: at, like, minus 2,000, which means if you want to bet on the Wolves to make the playoffs – for every twenty dollars you bet, you get one dollar back. Like that is how good Vegas thinks that the odds are right now that the Wolves make the playoffs. Um, I mean because they're going to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it would it would be catastrophic. Like something tells you somebody would have to get hurt. Somebody else would have to get hurt uh, for that yeah. to not happen. Um I so yeah, I think it's a pretty near lock anyway. I understand nothing's a lock. I understand people being nervous about it, but I'd be very, very surprised.
1: Right. Then and that's that that's all I'm saying. That like even if they don't get the six, I'm for, for me, as somebody who would like to see the Wolves playing well into the playoffs, is, like, I just kind of want to see them get back right, you know? Like, th- as we are here on Tuesday, you know, they've lost three of their last four. Again, definitely against, like, good competition, very good teams, but, like, I feel like this is a team whose confidence kind of, like, can sway and plays on what they've done recently, like, I I guess what I'm trying to say is even if it is the seven seed, like you weren't able to catch Denver because Jokic was insane. Like you did what you could do the final two months of the season. You won a bunch of games. Like if you're still ultimately the seven seed, okay, fine. Go to the play-in, but be playing your best basketball as you get to that point or, or close to it. I think that's the most important thing. Again, because I think the overall most important thing is to have a playoff series that you can learn from that we can learn from who on the team is makes a difference who is costly and then you can reassess going forward because as important as this year is the cool thing about it is this is all kind of just a preview of what's to come in theory right like they're they're the wolves are are a team um on the rise so yeah i i however this season ends it ending with decent momentum i i think is is probably the most important thing to me.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And that, and then I think that can be like going and taking one game from Phoenix and losing in five and you were competitive in four of the games. Like, you know, and it would just have a way different feel than when you did the exact same thing against Houston in 2018. Like it would feel 10 times different um, because it'd be like, well, Phoenix is the best team. Phoenix would probably come out of the West playing the NBA finals. And you'd be like, well, they were competitive there. Um, and, And obviously if you push another team, further and somehow win a series, whatever, that would generate even more momentum. Um I do kind of wonder, like, is is there some benefit to if you lose to Toronto and then you lose to Denver? Well, now the race, it's over. Yeah. Is, it, is there any momentum to taking like, OK, these guys are really banged up and we don't have to give them all the rest of the games off, but we can give everybody two. Um, and then and then maybe you play the Bulls in that last regular season game and you beat them. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like they would roll in with just as much confidence against the Clippers as they ever have if they just literally just played full strength against Chicago and beat them.
1: I was talking to Britt about this at the brewery thing on Sunday. Sure. And and I kind of agree with him. He goes, I just can't see Finch doing that.
2: I, that was my only thought, too, is that he's just so <laughs> anti like that. It's, it's everything yeah. goes against everything he's ever said. But I do think he might be like, look, Vando's not work physically where he's at. Ant might mm-hmm. not be exactly physically where he's at. So we can do like one game or two games. There would be no shutting anybody down. Um, yeah, And I certainly think you would say, well, why Why would we sit you, Player X? Like you have no injury yeah. ailments right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. But it does, yeah. That's was what's always hard too, where we're like, oh, rest is good. Well, how good is it?
2: Yeah. So, That's why I think know. they would all play against Chicago in that finale, yeah, right. I think. Um,
1: right, right, right. Well... We will see. Six games left in the season. Jace, uh, thanks for coming on to do this. Took a little bit more of your time than I thought I would. That always seems to happen for some reason. Um, obviously, uh, I'm sure you all follow Jace already. He does a, a great job. covering the Wolves for the Pioneer Press. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jace Frederick. Uh, I think I'll probably convince Jace to come on here again uh, before the playoffs or while, while the playoffs are going. But uh, it's gonna be it's going to be a sprint here. For the next uh the next month or so. <laughs> this is gonna be the last time we get two days off, I think. For playoffs. For, between games one and games two. Can sometimes yeah, happen. But You know those are crazy though, man. It's like they're not. Do you remember the time in Houston? No. Like we just sat there and it was okay, like Well, you're a machine. Well, what do we and, do? No, you're a machine and you just like write every day. I remember for me when I was just writing for the Houston series, I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't type anymore. This is like We've, we've written two stories a day on, on the world play. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's I feel like there will be a lot to digest here. Sure. As I'm as just the, saying, as the come
2: between out. if we're sitting in Memphis and there's two days off by day two, it'll be like, you just want to do a podcast? You'd be like, oh, okay. I guess I, <laughs> I already wrote my story this morning and I have nothing to do for the next six hours. So, because the first uh, day they don't even have practice. And then it's like, what do we do
1: all day today? Like, podcast and then we go get a beer. That's that's basically it. Yep. That's, yeah. That's the plan. Um, all right. Again, he's Jace Frederick. Follow him on Twitter at Chase Frederick. I'm Dane at Dane More NBA. I will be back to talk to you after the uh, the Raptors game on on Wednesday night. Thank you again to all of you who came out to Forgotten Star on Sunday. It was fun to see you. Just a great basketball game. The Wolves really really came out <laughs> for for that one. You couldn't have uh, a better so, game for that.
2: You couldn't. I knew us.
1: I knew that was gonna happen, man. I knew that was gonna. Happen. Uh, All right, okay, okay. He's Jace. I'm Dane. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Until then, peace out.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming.